Welcome to the No Film School podcast. This is Gigi Hawkins, and I am a cord cutter, or maybe even a cord never. I've never paid for cable TV, and I think it's very easy to sort of skip over the importance of, you know, the millions of people who are watching broadcast and cable networks here in the United States. I was listening to an episode of Talk Easy with Quinta Brunson. Great podcast. Highly, highly recommend it. Hosted by Sam Fragoso. And she was speaking about Abbott Elementary being made for her family. You know, an audience that isn't watching Succession as the rest of us who are you know, deep in the industry and deeply cynical about the world are. And I recently had a sort of reconnection with broadcast in watching Quantum Leap, which I had seen all the promotion for, but I hadn't really dipped my toe in. And I came across this episode called The Family Treasure, which came out earlier in February of this year, featuring Dean, a character who comes out to their siblings as non-binary during the episode. And I learned more about the writer of the episode, Shakina, who is a performer, writer, producer, director, and activist, and wanted to hear more about how this came to be. And in watching the episode, I was like, oh my gosh, I love this show. This is like the vibe I want in the world. It's an adventure. This particular episode was like a huge callback to Indiana Jones. There's this nostalgia narrative. There was just like, it was like a feel-good thing. And I was like, oh, this is what the world needs. Don't get me wrong. I love succession, but I need something to balance out my uh, media diet. So in sitting down with Shakina, we talked about a lot of the sort of nuts and bolts mechanics of writing a show for broadcast. And this episode is a really good place to start if you're at all interested in, in working in this space. But it's also a great refresher if you sort of stick to the auteur or horror or things outside of it, because I think there are still a lot of good takeaways about working within production. So in our conversation, we talk about finding and maintaining a consistent tone and ethos for a show like this. We talk about how to advocate for yourself within a production and create more opportunities for yourself. We also talk about the evolution of queer narratives and how to be an ally within this space. And we really get to the heart of, you know, storytelling, how characters and stakes and people we care about can carry you through, whether you're dropped into a show like this as broadcast is also designed, or if you're the audience that tunes in every single week. It's kind of amazing how these very just human-driven, human-connecting stories will get you invested almost instantly. And we talk a lot about how if you do that work up front, you get your audience on board. And now here's my interview with Shakina. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. 
Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Welcome to the Snapple Market Auditory Experience. Close your eyes. Imagine you're walking into your neighborhood store. You make your way to the back and reach for your favorite Snapple flavor. You can't wait. You take a sip. Whoa, that's a lot of flavor. Mm-hmm. What flavor are you holding? Now open your eyes and check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavorful Snapple near you. Welcome, Shakina, to the No Film School podcast. Thank you so much for being here. Hey, Gigi. I'm so happy to be with you. I feel like we have, we talk to a lot of film directors and people who are in the feature space, but it's always exciting to speak to somebody who is working in the episodic space. And you have worn all the hats. You have been in pretty much every position that you can, it feels like. I mean, (laughs) Tell me if you were holding a boom mic ever, but it, it is going to be so valuable to hear about your experience across the board working in television. So I'm so excited to speak with you. And let's just get started. How did you get your start as a storyteller? Well, I think I got my start as a storyteller doing like queer trans performance art, kind of like beginning in the drag space, but then more toward the unconventional avant-garde, which then led me in a lot of really wild directions. But at the at the core, I was also like a musical theater lover, like a Broadway girl. And so I yeah. I found a kind of eventual harmony, like a place to land as a storyteller in alt cabaret spaces, sort of like stand-up comedy, meets spoken word, meets musical theater, and like really raunchy underground, you know, and also classy supper clubs in New York City, you know, it goes yeah. across the board. But that's really where I kind of like shaped myself as a as a storyteller. And then I didn't transition into television until after I transitioned. And and then I booked my first role as an actor on Difficult People on Hulu playing Lola. And that was sort of my like breakthrough moment. I had been like pounding the pavement as a director and a performer for a long time, but that was in 2016. And that's what sort of like got me in. What was the the biggest sort of adjustment that you had to make moving from the stage and musical theater and cabaret and and all of these sort of like spaces that require you to be big and larger than life and bringing that down to be still full of life, but in front of the camera, what was the biggest like a change that you had to make? I think, I think the scale is really the thing. I think I've always been uh, a, a fan of capturing intimacy in performance, whether that's mm-hmm. like a, like, through spectacle or through something really close. And so, so it was just about learning how to contain it in the frame, you know, which as a, as a theater director and a performer, like I, I'm always building frames for all, all my stories, you know, and framing is a really important device. And that, that comes through in what you're doing when you're thinking about working for the camera in front of or behind it. 
That's that's something that I've like n- never thought about, like the frame on the stage, but but it totally makes sense. And, and it's sort of like a way to contextualize what you're doing. What's interesting is, you know, I I feel like I it's been a while since I've watched a like a network TV show and I mm-hmm. like tapped into to Quantum Leap, which I saw like all this promoting for and I knew it was a reboot of something. But it's such an interesting device to think about framing because every episode has this element of going back in time, but then you're sort of framing it within the context of everything. And I'd love to hear a little bit more about that and sort of how you got into, into like the, what it's like being in this type of space, like being in the writer's room, you've been the director, you've been in front of the camera, but like, how, how do you think about framing in, in that context? Well, it's so, it's such a wild, like, fortuitous ride that brought me here. But I, I remember my first general meeting at NBC Universal after I booked Difficult People. And I, like, was sitting in these meetings and they want to, like, you know, pin you down, know who you are, and, like, in a sentence. And, and I thought I was being all brilliant. And I was like, well, I think my greatest currency is my ability to transform. So I want to conquer every genre, which is like, very true to who I am as a storyteller. And then as soon as I said that, I was like, oh my God, I'm never going to work in this town again. Like they wanted me to be like, I'm your sitcom queen or like, I got your procedurals or like whatever. And here I am like, no, I want to do literally everything in my own way. And then after connecting, which was the show that I, I, we did during the pandemic, which was sort of like, like you said, well, we'll talk about it later, but it's a, it's a big kind of turning point in in my career. I met Martin Jarrow, who's the, the creator of that show, who's also the EP and showrunner of this Quantum Leap sequel. So we were developing something independently that was sort of like inspired by my life. And that's still kicking around. But in the meantime, everyone was like, you should probably get in a writer's room and see how that works. And so when it was announced that Quantum Leap would be happening, I reached out and I was like, hey, do you think you could like, at, at the time, Martin wasn't showrunning. And I was like, do you think if I got a sample together, could you like, you know, set me up for an interview and like, or he's like, I can send them your sample. Okay, great. So I wrote a sample, like never having written in genre before and just sort of like put it all out there. A dear friend of mine, Shady Potosky is another trans TV writer was like, just write something that'll never get made. So yeah. I did. And nice. then I got an interview and I, and I got the job. And basically I was like, look, I could pitch you an episode about trans kids in sports, which I did. But I also was like, I can, I can tell you that I know what it's like as a trans person to walk in someone else's shoes because I had to do it my whole life. And that is an insight I can bring to this particular time traveling character who inhabits other people. And so lo and behold, I end up with a job in a writer's room where week to week, I get to be a part of conquering every genre because Amazing. Quantum Leap goes back in time and tells that these stories that, you know, set right what once went wrong. And uh, we do it through the lens, literally and figuratively of, these sort of like canonical, you know, tropes of, of storytelling and, and cinema and television. And we get to have our, our, you know, teen sports episode and our treasure hunt episode and our towering inferno episode. And, you know, it, it yeah. So it all kind of worked. I get to conquer every genre with quantum leap. That's incredible. Like wild how it all came together. I love that. You're like, I, I pitched myself as the wrong the wrong thing for this industry. And then it was like, this thing came in. It was perfect. Was Indiana <laughs> Jones an influence for this episode? A hundred percent. Yeah. I so love that. Yeah. We came back from the strike and we had no time to put together a new script. Cause I had written something pre-strike for that slot. That was way too big for what we could afford. Uh-huh. At the time. We had a big musical episode in the works and maybe we will. That'll happen in knows. the future. Yeah. 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 
But in the meantime, we had no time to, re- to come up with something new. And Dean Jagaris and Martin Garrow pitched me. They were like, we need, we need something like Romancing the Stone. Can you bring us something that's like a, just a, a treasure hunt? But like, maybe there's a non-binary storyline. Yeah. I was like, okay, challenge met. And so, of course, for me, it was actually the original title of the episode that I was Bediana Jones. Because I, I, wanted, I wanted to invoke, like, not just Indiana Jones, but that whole treasure hunt genre and and like more than the genre like the nostalgia that we all feel in our hearts when we experience those narratives and and then jude wang who came in to direct was like was a huge indiana jones fan had directed finding ohana which is an incredible like treasure hunt in hawaii and so she just got it and yeah we got to make a treasure hunt with like a sort of trans mass non-binary you know young little hero and yeah that's just what the world needs Totally. The thing that struck me was how quickly I was with these characters. And I know we have our... Tell me if this is the structure of the show. We have the recurring characters. And I think Ben is the protagonist who goes back in time and is helping solve these mysteries. And with so there's this story within the story. Are each of the characters from the past, are they new characters every time? Every week. So we have this like headquarters of Quantum Leap with an incredible series regular cast who works sort of as a procedural story engine, checking in on, they have their own sort of character journeys that we're following throughout the season, but they're really all there to sort of work to help bring Ben back because he left and is something, we're not able to bring him home. So every mm-hmm. week he goes, he leaps into someone else's body and someone in that person's life is having some kind of crisis moment that Ben has to, you know, help set right. And then that's what enables him to leap again yeah so we get these new setups every week where we have this sort of like human story that's so deeply personal and someone's life is being saved or changed and it's completely new guest star cast every week so we get these incredible performers in to sort of like have like this like and they're really the in a way they're the stars of the episode you know raymond lee is is the yeah ben is the protagonist he's the star of the show but but every episode has these yeah these great you know, self-contained stories that we we crack together in the room and then we string them together over the course of the seasons. But I think the biggest thing that struck me was how invested I was in both the recurring characters, but these these guest stars immediately. And so so I'm curious, it it, did, it felt like Dean Dean's story and and that's within this story. But how yeah. as storytellers and within the room, how do you get people invested in these characters almost instantly? Like, what are the tools to like get right to that lava of like, I care about the stakes and I care about these people? Yeah, we work really hard to in the teaser in the first like five pages of the episode, three to five pages, know who we are and what world we're in and what Mm. that person like wants or needs or might be facing. So in, in the realization of like where Ben is and in any leap week to week, we, as the writers have to sort of figure out, okay, what, what information do we have to get across right away to make sure these characters are deeply felt and, and relatable and that we want to go on an adventure with them that we have like a sort of a you know a point of attraction to whatever it is that they're going through and yeah and then you know we kind of set them up and knock them down it unfolds differently every time but we always Mm -hmm. make sure that in our sort of like five-act structure plus a teaser in our writing that we have 
these, what you know, what we call page turns and act outs. So you want to think at the end of every script, and this might be old news for your listeners, but like you, it's the same in every case. You just want to make sure that like you want to, you want to keep going. You want to keep watching like the, the drama increases, the stakes increase. And, and I think because we're really telling these human stories that are about families and, and people going through like, you know, even if it's a sort of like spectacular scenario, I, I keep coming back to our, our finale for the season that's going to happen tonight. And it's, yeah, it's just like the setup is so huge, but the story is so intimate, you know? Yes. And I think that's what makes Quantum Leap so special is because it's like really a heartfelt, you know, saga, like week to week. It's interesting. I think that one of the reasons that I connected there are a couple of reasons that I connected, but I think there's like my entry point into this particular story was this reminds me or this feels familiar. This reminds me of Temple of Doom because that was the one VHS of the Indiana Jones series I owned yes. and watched again and again as a kid. And I will argue that it's the best because, you know, it's close to home. And 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 then on t- but then on top of it, it was a deeply intimate and personal story. And and I, I mentioned this before on the podcast, but my sister is trans. And and I think that some, uh, this is one of those things where I'm like, I wish that my family had seen this or this had been sort of part of the conversation as we were growing up. Something to to model what a this conversation could be, like coming out to your family yeah. or coming out and how can how can you sort of be there to support. So I'd love to talk about Spoiler: the the moment where Dean like comes out as non-binary to their sister, and yeah. and then also how Ben plays a sort of conduit to modern language used to you know create the space where they're like kind of exploring and being like, oh, this yeah. is how this works. I'd love to talk unpack that scene yeah. in particular. Yeah, it's really meta. I mean, just to a brief recap for your audiences: the siblings get a their father dies, leaving them a treasure map, and they. Uh, have to put the pieces together and follow the clues and go on a treasure hunt in Mexico. And along the way, one of the younger siblings who is like already sort of really presenting gender nonconforming and what we call an episode transmasculine, like they have a, a coming out scene that's really powerful where they, they've sort of survived a, a, a cave in and their shirts torn to shreds and they, they like stand up and you can see that they're wearing a binder and they take up their torn shirt and they're like, you know, just this James Dean, like, silhouetted in the mm-hmm. in the sun like like non-binary trans mask hero moment saying this is who i am which mm-hmm. reclaims a lot of tropes in trans representation especially trans mask representation i think in terms of yeah. you know just showcasing this as a powerful choice to define oneself and express oneself and of course it's in the 1950s i should have mentioned so this is very radical and this character you know, says, this is who I am, but I wish I had better words to explain myself. And Ben, who was our time traveler, happens to have back in HQ, a bestie in the character Ian, played by Mason Aller Park, an incredible non-binary actor, incredible actor who is also non-binary. And, and so in, in the first season, I, I did this episode where Ben really learns how to be an accomplice to a trans girl on a, on a basketball team who he finds out is his daughter and he's the coach of her team and a great, journey please watch uh, episode i think it's 112 112 yeah 112 let them play but but so ben learns how to be an accomplice in that episode and so in season two we get we get to this critical moment and the character of jen who works with ian in hq is like do you want to tap in do you want to go leap in and solve this problem and take it off ben's hands 
And instead, you know, Ben has the ability to say, hey, I have this best friend back in finishing school, because that's the, uh-huh. the sort of metaphor that we're popping back to, because he's bleeped into the body joke. of like a, a teenage girl. Yeah. In the 50s. And he's like, I have this best friend back in finishing school who doesn't feel like he or she really works for them. And so they use they, them pronouns, which is like really non-binary, introducing a whole new word to this kid in the 50s who's trying to understand themselves. And so in, in so doing, give, gives them a, another option, another word, some language. And in it all, like you said, this conversation sort of models what's possible with coming out and with yeah. supporting gender expression and exploration. But also it's sort of does in a, in a sort of meta way what the episode is doing, which is like, it's really like a missive. Like I talk about my work, like a Care Bear stare. I'm just like blasting out, like, please let the children see it. Like, yes. please let the families watch it. They need to watch it. So that they have some of that language. And, and it's like, oh, you know, Wilder Yari, who, who plays Dean, you know, says, you know, thank you for listening to me when I tell you who I am, which yes. is like, I'm rewriting my own history. You know, when I, when I wrote that line, I'm, yeah. I'm giving myself and every like young trans kid, like the, the experience that, you know, the wish fulfillment, which is what we go for yeah. every week in Quantum Leap, you know, the wish fulfillment of, of being seen and understood and accepted. And that makes it possible like yeah. out in the world and especially through network television, which is like in some ways, like a last pocket of access to certain, you know, communities that aren't tuning into streaming and aren't tuning into places where there might be more trans representation as a given. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's like, you know, it's like, it feels like, you know, one small leap and then also like a huge thing. Yes. So, it's so, it's yeah. so exciting. And it's so exciting that it's sort of like, it's not, e- I, I, this actually brings me to a, a very specific question and, and, and I might contextualize it in, in your story, but I, I'm curious how you're seeing sort of like queer coming out stories in the media evolve. And, and, and let's start with the fact that you made TV history as the first transgender person to be cast as a series regular on a network sitcom. And this was also an NBC series called Connecting. So like, yeah. you know, you were, you stepped into that role at a very specific time and here we are now, like, how is, how is that shifting? How is that changing? Uh, well, you know, it takes a village. So mm-hmm. I am one, you know, trans person who happens to be both an activist and a performer, writer, creator, storyteller. And there are many of us. And there are also many of us who are activists and not creative writer, storyteller, performers. And also there are people who are performers and storytellers who don't consider themselves activists. So yeah. it's important to just, you know, the Venn diagram is broad. And then there's a particular intersection of us who I think have been consistently working to push the needle forward. And that involves creating and also advocating and that you know i think what's so great you know thinking about quantum leap is like first of all we have a non-binary series regular like boom that's like it's just part of the texture of the show you know it was groundbreaking to have me be on a sitcom you know in 2020 and here we are a few years later and there are, are several trans series regulars you know in addition we get the opportunity to tell these really groundbreaking i think specific nuanced stories that are really unprecedented and we get to do it because the network and the studio and the crew and the caterers and the designers and uh, literally everybody senses the importance and rallies together 
to do the extra work that's required to set up the framework to tell the story safely, authentically, respectfully, with care. Because we know we don't get a lot of opportunities to like sling an arrow this far out. You know, it's, Mm -hmm. it's, you know, back when I was growing up, they always call these like very special episodes. You know, it's like the one that like you watch with your family after school or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And like, I wanted to, like, what does that look like for our, our, the new generation? I don't know, you know, Mm -hmm. but quantum leaps like primary engine is nostalgia it always has been yeah and so and i know how to tap into a story that makes you feel good and i know how to tap into like there's a way that you can queer something comfortable um, Mm. and familiar in a way that when otherwise there might be met with like someone with a guard up it becomes just more accessible more I don't know, less threatening, maybe, you know, not that I experience myself as threatening. I do not, but some people experience me as threatening and I just want to dismantle that, you know, Um, for my community. (laughs) When, when constructing those stories, like I'm, I'm, I'd be curious to like hear either a specific example or a conversation that was had either in the writer's room or like perhaps in the notes process that is like when something felt like it was not like dismantling or helping oh. uh, deconstruct something yeah. uh, and where your sort of like internal compass had to like redirect and be like, actually, I think this yeah. is not this the is way. A- so let's try this way. Yeah. Great example. So two episodes of, of quantum leap that tell very specific trans stories. Episode one twelve. let them play about this trans girl on, on her basketball team. And then episode two, the family treasure, which has this non-binary coming out scene. So the first episode, we uh, we actually had to put the, push the episode back a whole slot because it took so much work to like massage the story and make sure that like mm-hmm. we had consultants with Glad on board, we had like the studio network on board. But one of the big points was when I first sort of pitched this like day in the life of a family with a trans kid story, I got this feedback like no, there were nothing was happening. It wasn't dramatic. There weren't enough stakes. I had written on the page something that I had lived and experienced as like totally traumatic and terrifying in my teenage years. And yet it wasn't like coming through. And so then I had to write this other draft that really like mined my trauma and I hated it. And it was a terrible experience. And then I brought it forward and we got notes on it. Like, why is this so dark and so miserable? And like, we don't want to see, we want trans joy. We want to see. And I was like, yes, that's what I wanted the whole time. So there was this like, this I had to go down a whole road mm. really of like I know I knew this is not what we wanted. We don't we, we're done with those narratives, right? We're we we do not need to see more trans kids like crying and getting beaten up. We don't, you know, there's like yeah. so many of these like tropes of representation for you know people who are coming from the margins that we're just really trying to flip the script on. And unfortunately that time through I had to do a rewrite that like went back to the same old script. And we all knew it was the wrong direction. And that happens in writer's rooms all the time. Like you have to sort of go down a road to realize you have to come back. This time, I mean, one, we had literally two weeks to put the whole episode together. But this time, Mm -hmm. there was never a, gosh, you know what would be great? Like a little more trauma for the trans character. You know, there was never even an assumption of that. There was never an ask for, in fact, there was always an understanding that what we were doing from the beginning was reframing this coming out experience and this image of binding with empowerment and liberation and, you know, freedom, like just, be, yeah. you know, and that, and that as a whole, and this goes back to something you were saying earlier, I think that's 
when we think about the shifting nature of coming out narratives, mm. where the conversation is really gone, you know, thankfully, is that we is that it's a it's an invitation in to who you are, and it's a, and it's standing in your power and and owning who who you met, who you're meant to be, and when we when we model that story and we show families accepting that and we show people feeling emboldened in standing in their truth rather than ashamed and abandoned, yeah. you know, we really provide a whole other, a whole other timeline. Like we make it possible for people who didn't maybe think it was possible for them and yeah. to go out and do the very same thing. And that to me is like super radical. It's so <laughs> the like it, the joy of it and like, ju- it, it is contagious. Cause it, it, like outside of the the fact that they're in this particular episode, we have the Dean story and Dean coming out as non-binary. Like there's also this scene that is related to, I think, a, a plot that is out that is for the characters in the quantum leap world. And I think it's a romance. And and it was also modeling just like really great communication style. And I'm like, thank God, like this work is being done. This is really refreshing. And like, it reminds me of, uh, are you there? God, it's me, Margaret. We interviewed Kelly Freeman Craig, who wanted in this world where we're seeing like sex education being taken out of States and this, like we're in a very scary time. And it makes me very happy that these narratives that are showing and modeling like good, kind, human, supportive, loving things. It's, we need it. We really need it right now. Yeah. We have to see it to know it's possible sometimes, you know? Mm. And, and I'm so glad you brought that up because that was another scene in which there was a draft where it was really kind of an explosive blow up, you know, breakup that like triggered some toxic masculine behavior. And we were like, that's not the character we wrote. That's not the way we want to tell our story. That's not our show. And so we reframed that scene and yeah, you know, and the way TV writing works, just for your, again, for your listeners who might not be familiar with, it's like, there are so many cooks in the kitchen all the time there and there, and there's a hierarchy, like a, like a, like a kitchen. <laughs> and yes. so, um, so all these yes, things chef, are, I'd say. yeah, yeah. All these things are constantly being reworked from the, mm-hmm. you know, from the showrunners and the onset producers, the, the writer, myself. And so and the actors and the director. So there's so many scenes in this episode that we got to massage, you know, through the teamwork and kind of refine, which is like wild to think about how fast TV moves. And yet you can still make time for collaborative storytelling to be, you know, a priority. Joyful. Yeah. And a priority. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 So let's dig into what it means to be a, co-story editor in a writer's room on a TV show because, you know, taking myself out of the context of what I know for TV, I think co-story editor, I met, I like envision somebody in Adobe Premiere editing. I'm like, I know that's not what it is. So what, what does that mean? And where do you sit in the, in the order of how it, how it works? There are so many positions in a writer's room and we, I don't even know if we have them all, but they rank from like, you know, a writer's assistant, showrunner's assistant to staff writer, which is sort of what we consider entry level. And then story editor, executive story editor, which I am co-producer, producer, executive producer, showrunner. I think that's probably, I think most of them. And everyone has sort of different level of responsibility. They have a different level of seniority. They've been with the game a little longer. I came in, you know, as an actor and I'm still, you know, my 
my end game is still like, you know, creating stories for me and my family to be in. So, you know, this is sort of like, I'm like having the benefit of being a part of an incredible show and also kind of like being in grad school at the same time for, for TV writing and directing, which is like, so great to be learning on the job. As a executive story editor, I think I come in in the tier where I'm, I'm best in service in the act of collaborative storytelling, ensuring, helping to ensure that there is a, you know, consistent, dramatic through line in the journeys of all of our characters and that we, you know, I'm sort of, I'm sort of helping keep an eye on in particular, I think Ian's track because we have this non-binary character, but really all the series regular characters and then the story week to week thematically um, being of service to the consistency of the theme, the tone, the language, the values, I'll say, yeah. you know, this. so yeah, it's sort of like continuity you know, in, in, in story basically. So, and I think that's like where I, I like found my pocket in this, you know, certain writer's room. I've been in the writer's room on transparent, the musical finale that we did for Amazon. And that was really different experience. I was also acting in that and Mm -hmm. producing and there was sort of like different situations to attend to, to to put on a movie musical as a, as a, series finale so anyway it's the perfect marriage of your your past and your present it's like let's bring the musical to this to the screen yeah yeah exactly well i love it and i i I love that particular intersection but yeah i think yeah on all of the jobs are it's like it's all writing and it's all working for the show like picking out being on set and choosing this jacket or that jacket for the actor this line or that line like like this camera angle or that camera angle it's all writing it's all telling the story, you know? I have a very technical question. So so when you are working on, say, you know, Transparent, the musical finale, and you are acting and in the the room, and also, I forget exactly what you said, but maybe like... Producing. Co-producing. Is your manager or agent negotiating all those roles for you? Or do you have a conversation with somebody that is in the leadership position and you're like, I can slot into these roles. So these will be my touch points. Like, what is the tech? I mean, I'm a hustler, Gigi. I mean, I also know how I best serve. Like, I I know where I could fit in and help the project excel. So I've always put myself forward, you know? With difficult people, I came in and part of the deal, like my callback was like an hour long meeting talking and where we realized that if I were going to be an actor on the show, I should also be a consultant. Mm -hmm. And so I was already like bringing in, you know, dossiers of punch ups (laughs) and joke ideas, you know, and the same, you know, I was running uh, this organization. I started in New York City called Musical Theater Factory and I invited Joey Soloway and Faith Soloway to come to Musical Theater Factory to develop their musical which became, you know, the finale. So the original cast of Amazon Transparent was like in my theater company working on their musical while the Tony Award winning Strange Loop that I was also developing was rehearsing next door. So, you know, I've like just been like, you need me as a producer. Like, let me come in. I can help, you know? And and yeah, I just, I want to, ultimately, Martin says, Martin Jarrell, the showrunner, he says that I have showrunner-itis. Like, I'm not going to be satisfied till I'm in charge of everything. And maybe that's true, but I'm trying to have a good time and learn everything on the way. Yeah. And yeah, like, you know, agents and managers will help you negotiate a contract, but, and and they do generate opportunity when you are giving them momentum to Mm -hmm. like go out and do that. But I would say thinking about my, you know, big wins in TV, aside from like, you know, auditions that were like very fortuitous, 
it's always been about knowing my value, seeing where I can serve, and then having the guts to say, hey, I see this area of need and I have a skill that meets that. You know, may I come on board in this capacity? Yeah. And and then, you know, yeah, and then there's growth there, you know. It 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 sounds like something that may again, I, I got my start doing theater and you know, as a kid, you know, and, <laughs> yeah, and we all did, yeah. It's it's a great it's a gateway into yeah. what we're doing now, but but it feels like some that the spirit of that is fitting into wherever you can to bring something to life. And it's yeah. such an interesting framework for approaching television and the value that you can bring and understanding. I think it's very important for our listeners to understand the importance of what they bring to the table and being able to articulate that. That's I think right. very easily, especially in the emerging space, we can be, we can feel like we are just lucky and should be thankful and grateful that we even have the opportunity to be a writer's assistant and don't even try to do anything else. Just focus on the thing and just be stuck in that box when you can be so much more. Um, I think, yeah, for early career artists, filmmakers, of which I consider myself one still, by the way, I would say, you know, (laughs) yeah, it, it so often seems that people around you only see you for what you're currently doing. And so you have to be in charge of how you see yourself and lean into the skills that you've developed that bring you the most joy, you know, and passion. Yeah. And like you got to, and, and it's not going to look like just, I mean, for me, it wasn't just one job. I mean, I, I always dream about the one job that will integrate all the skills and passions. When but you're a really, showrunner, it'll yeah, happen. right. Perhaps when I'm a showrunner of the, uh, uh, that, I'm also like you know the show I'm starring. Like maybe yeah. then that I'm also directing a, a, an episode from time to time. Perhaps then, and like writing my book. Perhaps then I will be you know content. But the point is, like, yeah, take an inventory of the stuff you're good at. Know your value. See yourself as multifaceted, and mm-hmm. then show up as multifaceted. And you're going to find a lot of cool ways to continue building your skills and mm-hmm. literally, I mean, that's just what I'm doing. I, 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 you know, I had the opportunity to shadow Chris Grismer, who's our producing, producing director. I got to shadow him on our season finale. And it, after, you know, being in the writer's room for 30 something episodes, producing two of them, directing one of them, still the opportunity to like sit behind the camera with a master director and be like, this is how he gets shit done was like such an incredible gift so yeah never stop soaking it up and showing it soak (laughs) it up i I love that you know i from just your you're looking at your resume and imdb alone i'd be like oh shakina is knows everything and is like ready to go but you you mentioned earlier you're approaching this like your grad school like you're in a you are learning you're soaking it up and i think like in all these in in the conversations that we have on this podcast it's the people that really stick with me are the ones who are like always learning and always trying to grow and always trying to figure out how they can like continue to to push and and I think that is what makes the best leaders because because they're also learning to work with other people in doing that and always applying that lens i I, I have one other specific question and and I think that this is like Sometimes I'm like, is this, 
like I, I want to sort of look at how we can sort of offload the the weight of telling stories about people in the queer community and creating characters who are in that outside of people who are just in that community. So, mm-hmm. so, you know, can you, could you give me an example of like a filmmaker who is an ally and like, what are they doing that is, you know, helping create space for characters that we haven't historically seen on TV? I mean, the first person that came to mind was Julie Klausner, who created Difficult People, mm-hmm. um, who in season two introduced the the role of Lola, which was this confrontational, you know, conspiracy theorist, trans truther, and was really the first time that we had seen a trans person be the teller of the joke and not the butt of the joke. And yeah. this is a while back, this is 2016. But but I'm just this experience comes to mind because I think what Julie and Scott did on that show, you know, with, with Billy Eichner and the rest of the incredible cast, oh my God, Polo School, Andrew Martin, <laughs> Gabby Sidibe, Derek Baskin, I mean, just the, the incredible people. But they said, we're going to create a character that the world needs to see, and we don't actually know how to do that, so we're going to find someone who can help us do that, and we're mm-hmm. going to do that. So they created the character, and they created opportunity, and they knew when to when to, you know, sit back and let me guide. And they also knew that it would take more space to onboard me because there were so many things about working in TV that I didn't know. And I, and yeah. I was coming in at season two on that one. So right. like there was already a well-oiled machine that I was jumping into. It was terrifying. But so I would just say, you know, the allyship, the accompliceship, it's like not just creating the space because space without resources and support is a trap. You know, mm. you got to, you got to create the space, you got to create the visibility, and then you got to create the infrastructure to support the growth into that space. Yeah. And so, yeah, that is one, you know, that's a shout out to Julie. I'm just like forever grateful for the, you know, chance she took on me with that. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm just for everyone, you know, what Martin did for me, opening the door for me to even just get my sample into Quantum Leap. I mean, that's advocacy, you know, yeah. where, and that's access where there hasn't been. So just, yeah holding the door open for people is so, yeah, it's so powerful. That's amazing. Well, we are reaching the end of our podcast recording time here, and we always like to wrap up with a question that is speaking to our emerging filmmaker audience. Yeah. What advice do you have for someone who is just getting their start in the storytelling filmmaking space? Don't stop do something every day that pushes you toward your dream. And that can look different. That can be emailing someone that you're intimidated to reach out to. That could be watching that film you've always meant to watch. So you can dissect that scene that everyone's talking about. It could be sitting down to write two pages of that screenplay, but just check in and say like every day, can I, can I advance myself a little bit closer to the person I want to become? And uh, yeah, you'll get there. I love that. Well, thank you so much for joining us. I can't wait to watch the season finale tonight. Yeah, it's going to be so more, fun. Qu- more Quantum Leap. You've made a fan out of me. And please come back. We'd love to have you again on the No Film School podcast. Yeah, thanks, Gigi. Great chatting with you. You as well. Thank you so much, Shakina, for joining us, for being so open about your experience and your journey. 
and for also leaving me feeling very energized about, you know, advocating for myself as a creator. I I loved that energy. I loved I loved hearing how you sort of go in there and uh, pitch yourself or where you see your strengths are. I think that's something we should all be remembering as we move into opportunities where we're working within a structure. How else can we contribute to this structure, to this production, to this project? You can get more No Film School at nofilmschool.com. You can like, rate, and subscribe to the podcast across all platforms. And you can also follow us on social media at No Film School. Finally, you can watch the season finale that Shakina shadowed the director on of Quantum Leap out now on NBC or NBC.com. I don't know. Can you even get something on NBC.com these days? Somebody tell me. I don't know how to do a broadcast outside of this particular episode. I'm so glad we were able to have Shakina on. I hope she comes back. And I am, yeah, I'm a Quantum Leap fan now, guys. (laughs) 